Hi, and welcome to Season 2 of Big Sound Small Town, the podcast that spotlights the talented and diverse musicians in small towns and communities. This season, we're branching out to include the community of people who make it possible for musicians to be able to perform their music. The producers, the recording engineers, the venue owners, and many others. And as always, the small town musicians. Remember, small town doesn't mean small talent. Hear their stories. teaching studio in Bowling Springs, North Carolina uh, at the end of July 2019. Uh, he was very forthcoming. Uh, he was very straightforward, easy guy to talk to. I really enjoyed the time. And of course, his stories are great. Listen to him. I think you'll enjoy him. Today on Big Sound Small Town, I am with Cleveland County legend, Mr. Dan X. Padgett. He's a multi-instrumentalist and he is part of the beginning history of Cleveland County music. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. Let's start this with, um, when did you decide you was going to be a musician? Well, I uh, lived on a farm. We had two tenant houses, and one of the uh, tenant houses had a, a young boy that played guitar. I was about nine years old, and uh, he played Wildwood Flower. He had a little Stella guitar, which was, yeah. uh, I know, yeah. you know, at the time. But he played Wildwood Flower, and I wanted him to play Wildwood Flower. <laughs> he, he 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 was picking with a a tooth comb. Oh yeah. Didn't even have a guitar pick. Right. And he sat down there in the yard and showed me how to play Wildwood Flower. And then, uh, not too long after that, I saw a banjo in the show window at the pawn shop up at Forest City, and it was a K. Yeah. And I had a, a beautiful. Uh, I traded up for a beautiful uh, striped K guitar. And I traded that guitar in sixty-five dollars for that banjo. Oh, okay. Really got cheated, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I started, you know, trying to play it. Didn't know anybody. Never heard tell of Earl Scruggs or any anybody. Right. I don't know why I wanted it unless in the school band I played clarinet and they had an old banjo in the music room in a big old wardrobe like thing. Right. And I would get it out and it had two or three strings missing. I'd yeah. play with it. I think that's some of my early influences. Uh, uh, well, of course, my dad wanted to be a banjo player, and during the Depression, he, so he had a quartet. So you grew up with music already in your life as somebody that could play? Every Wednesday night after prayer meeting, we went to the practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that, that, they'd go out and play? They played on the radio, oh, yeah. uh, WBBO, I yeah. believe, 1947. 
on the program. They made some records. They they play uh, what is that gospel music? Now? Gospel quartet. Yeah. quartet. Yeah. Yeah. Gospel quartet. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So well, that's a pretty good place to start, really. It kind of lays the foundation for just about anything you want to do. My dad I knew a lot of musicians, and he'd take me around to live radio shows. It wasn't in television then, and uh, introduced me to the people, and we. I remember one time we were WSBA Spartanburg Radio and the big light that says on the air, my dad said, now, when that light comes on, you be quiet because we're on the air. And right. I was a little boy, you know, I look up at that light <laughs> and halfway scared, you know. Yeah. So so you got that banjo. So so what did you, you just start making up stuff to play? Yes, uh, I, yes, I did. I, uh, first song wasn't wasn't it was more or less a strumming. Song. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, then I began to uh, pick with a thumb and one index finger, yeah. like most everybody yeah. does start with. Yeah. And then in 1954, I learned to play Flint Hill Special. Okay. I sat down with a 33. Uh, no, it's 78, I believe, and and. Slowed it to 33 and a third yeah, and yeah. tuned my banjo way down oh, yeah, and learned to play. Uh, and we uh, were some of the first to have the, the detuners. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Tiny Davis, Hubert Davis had them. Davis, yeah. He, uh, as far as I know, he never worked but about a week or two in his whole life. He worked at Lily Mill long oh, yeah. enough to get the machine shop to make him a set of detuners. <laughs> and then he was gone. I say that's pretty funny there. Went to Florida for a, a career, and the IRS got after him. He went to Nashville till he died. <laughs> yeah, had the bluegrass in. Had the bluegrass in. Um, yeah, uh, that's a, that's just a, off of Broadway there. A, but uh, these detuners here are some that Earl Scruggs helped me make, design, and they work better than anything. They'll be here. Oh yeah, oh. for years and years. Oh yeah, those those are those are fine drop D tuners. He gave me the specifications. Says cut cut the stem down shorter, and I was supposed to have, have cut that in half right there, but right. Uh, never did get it done. But they're they're chrome, stainless steel chrome. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I bet that is way ahead of way ahead of the time with the banjo. Well, Earl's is in the the. Uh, Museum, and I got mine right beside his. It's very crude. It's not like this. It's right. like the first ones were. Right. And uh, uh, Hubert had those uh, early. Uh, he was on 78 RPM records with the detuners in the early 50s, I believe, or middle 50s. Okay, so he's he recorded plunking rag and riding the waves. And that drop D and, with that drop D tuning, yeah. Yeah, and Pee Wee. Uh, Played a lot with Pee Wee. Yeah. And used to go to the house at uh, uh, Lily Mill, and we packed, uh, picked in the back bedroom, and uh, me and uh, Pee Wee and and uh, Hubert. Yeah. And Grandma would call dinner, and we'd go go eat. And one time. He would lay his banjo, his double bed in there, just as far back next to the wall as he could lay it, you know. Yeah. Thought to myself, now he's got something in there he don't want nobody to see. Right. Found out he had cut a mirror, just a regular glass mirror around and installed it in the back of his resonator. Oh, that's pretty cool, <laughs> yeah. That's, I, well, I, 
obviously he was a pretty innovative guy when it came to to his banjo. He was. He he was. Uh, I heard him pick by the wood stove. I heard his mother's in the uh, early fifties. He doing. He's doing three finger roll then. Too, oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. He good. Good three finger roll. Yeah. I, mean, I, I knew he was, but I didn't know if he was doing it then he, too. Uh, he he was not far from starting when Earl did. I don't yeah. think. Yeah. I, I mean, I've had. I, I know a lot about him. Not to not to have got to talk to him in person, you know. He uh, he played jingle bells one time, and that just set me on fire. <laughs> I bet it did. On the banjo. Was it hard for you to learn to do that, to play the three finger roll? No, no, not after I did the Flint Hill Special. Right after that. It's one of the hardest you you can play. Uh, I you agree know. that it is. Uh, I, of course, I learned it note by note slowly, and right. I speeded it up. Yeah. And, and it, it began to, uh, then I, I began to meet Earl, you know, and George right. Brooks. I'd go to his house every Saturday night. Uh, wintertime, they had a big open fireplace and a semicircle a line of musicians. They had the uh, Paget Brothers, Clark and Howard. They played twin fiddles. Yeah. And we had a, a bass player and had a, a guitar player and two banjos and uh, we just had a, a big time back then. Well now somewhere along the line you picked up more than a banjo, right? Well I already was into the guitar and the right. banjo and uh, had I known the, the method for teaching the, the fiddle, yeah, I've been teaching a long time ago. Yeah. But I've only been teaching it probably 20 years. Or, yeah. Uh, so. That's a long time to be teaching it. That's uh, so did you start playing, did you finally start playing around after playing with, with these guys? I mean, did you find a band to play with? Around here? Yeah. Well, I, I didn't spend much time around here. I was right. in uh, Nashville while I was Wake Forest, you know, away from right. home. And then I, we lived in Greenville when I played with Charlie Moore. Right. And uh, I spent a lot of time away from here. So, right, so uh, not really much here. And all the musicians I used down in South Carolina were from Spartanburg, Greenville, right. Taylors, and right. over in that area. We played Happy Holler for uh, yeah. 12 years. Oh, yeah. We were Jordan School Gymnasium. At Landrum, South Carolina, and Barbara Fairchild had just uh, put out the teddy bear. Yeah. We had her over one weekend. And we had a pretty pretty good crowd over there, and this man at Happy Holler uh, asked me to go to his place over there and play, and I told him we, we wasn't ready to have that many songs right. together. And uh, it was four hours. Oh, yeah. And so about a year later, he came back, and we went. He said, we got about 25 people on Friday and uh, 30, 40 on Saturday is our average. And so uh, we started playing and, and uh, we ended up, uh, organized 72, and we ended up with the average, we averaged 1,400 people a week year yeah. round. Yeah, that's pretty good. And I had five members, including my wife. And, right. And, uh, We'd bring home like a thousand dollars. Yeah. Cash. They paid us Which in at cash that money. time, yeah, oh yeah, and that's big time. And right. we walked in and, and with an instrument and hooked up and played and then got our money and walked out. We went over to visit the Marshall Tucker Band and uh, more. They got us, bought the old schoolhouse for a studio, recording studio. 
And they were sitting around talking, you know, and, and uh, they had a bus and a tractor trailer truck. And he said, we out here on the road, said we, we having to uh, pay these roadies and fuel and, uh, and sometimes motels and eating yeah. out and yeah, all that oh stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He said, y'all ones got it made. said, you just go over and play. Get your instrument and walk home. Yeah, I mean, really, that's yeah. the truth. Yeah. I mean, that's probably as good a job as you yeah. ever had. Yeah, it, it was. And, and then, how'd you get to Nashville? Uh, well, like I said, I left the Wake Forest College. Yeah. I, I was going to become a medical doctor. And uh, this music kept pulling at me, pulling mm -hmm. at me, pulling at me. So I said, I'll go to Nashville and see what I can do. And, uh, I don't remember how I met the McCormick brothers, but uh, uh, anyway, they invited me on their radio show at Gallatin, Tennessee. And uh, they had a, a live show every Saturday, and then they went out and played uh, shows after the, live shows after the radio program. And, uh, and uh, Earl Scruggs listened to that program, and he heard me on it one day and called the station, wanted to know where I was living at. Tom was living over on Douglas Street, and he said, well, that's just a little ways from my house. Let me come by and pick you up Saturday morning, bring you over to the house. Uh, I'd known Earl since I was nine years old. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I knew Horace. Horace came to my dad's house when I was probably, well, I was probably about nine, driving a 47 Ford Coupe. <laughs> and he said, where's that little boy that plays the banjo on to pick a guitar with him? <laughs> so right. I knew Horace his whole life. And uh, was around and we picked together. Matter of fact, I got accused of, uh, uh, I don't know if you know Buster Kendrick. I do know Buster. I just you know did Buster an interview played, with Buster. He played seven years with uh, Dottie West. Yes. He was going to wait, uh, to uh, Garden Webb at the same time. He said, you're the reason I didn't graduate Garden Webb. said, we was off over there playing music with Horace <laughs> over in the Quonset hut. said, you're the reason I didn't graduate. I said, I didn't know that. Uh, but... Uh, well, one, I mean, I met, I met some people, I was at Nashville at the, behind the stage at the Grand Ole Opry and uh, we got word somebody's looking for a banjo player down at the theater. Yeah. And uh, I said, well, I don't know where it's at. And the guy standing next to me said, uh, I know where it's at. He said, we can walk to it. I said, come on. So I went down there and I got that job. and. Uh, Came to find out he was Mike Longworth, oh, yeah. Martin Guitar Company. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and he lived in Chattanooga, and uh, he would always sign his letters, keep on the sunny side, Mike. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So uh, we had several, uh, of course, like George Brooks. You know, we got to play with the twin fiddles, right? And, yeah, and yeah. So forth every week. So a little bit of all of it added up. Just a little bit, a little. Yeah, yeah. So, so why did you decide to leave Nashville? Well, uh, it was the uh, late fifties, and uh, Elvis Presley was beginning to hit the, the music scene, and uh, I kind of saw the hand, handwriting on the wall. Flat Scruggs had a hard time there, play, having to play England, China, right, and all around. You know, it's kind of uh, scarce going. Time's changing. So, Earl offered me a job with William Lee and Stoney, 
Cooper on the Grand Ole Opry. Right. And he told me to think. I said, let, let me think about it. So two or three weeks passed by, and he said, uh, well, said, if you don't want a job on the Opry, I said, my said, brother-in-law is manager of a big plant here in Nashville. We'll get you a working job, and you can live with me and Louise. Yeah. But, you know, $20 is too proud you oh, know, to I do that. Oh, I understand, yeah, I understand that. So, uh, uh, so I, I told him, I said, I'm going back to North Carolina. Well, I got back. Charlie Moore found out I was back, and he asked me to join his television show. And he had a live uh, 7 to 7.30, Monday through Friday. And then we had a production show on Wednesday night. We had a WIS television show in Columbia on Thursday nights. And we were playing show dates every night. Right. Had one of the first country music parks outside in, in the south, the Whispering Pines. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was open in the, uh, about 52 or 3, I think. How old would you have been during this time? Well, I was 21, 21. When, I, when I joined Charlie. Okay. And we, I mean, we played everything. Had an old Cadillac. And uh, we played every building standing, I think, at that time <laughs> between Spartanburg and, and Atlanta. Yeah. And then uh, tours up north, uh, you know, all the way to Ohio and Indiana. Mm -hmm. We went up to Mockingbird uh, Hill Country Music Park one Sunday afternoon. And played, and Wayne Rainey was up there. Yeah, oh yeah. And we met him, and he wanted Charlie to go over to his recording studio after we left there, and we recorded till the sun came up that morning, and then drove back uh, from Cincinnati uh, to Clayton, Georgia. Yeah, oh, that's a long drive. I think it's 14 hours. Yeah, yeah. No interstates much, you know. Oh yeah. At that time, but it, but I met a lot of people in Georgia and uh, all across. Right. Land. So, when did you? So, what brought you to teaching? Well, the biggest thing was, uh, wife and I worked eight hours a week at Happy Holler. Yeah. And we made enough money to to live, but we were off Saturday midnight till the next Friday at eight o'clock. Right. And we traveled and went everywhere we wanted to go. Right. And it just it just got boring, you know. I need right. something to do. Mm -hmm. So one day, uh, Max Wilson yeah. came up and knocked on my dad's door. He said, uh, "Dan said I've got a man here who wants to learn to play the banjo, Larry Lovelace." Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, so he was my first student. So oh, okay. I started teaching. He'd come spend half a day sometimes. Oh, okay. He he got to be real good. Yeah, he did. Uh, building banjo necks, designing his own inlay. He was a, he had it had to be perfect. And he turned out to be a pretty good banjo yeah, player. Yeah, he's a pretty good banjo player. Sure yeah. was. Yeah. That's how I got started. How, many, then, how uh, many students you reckon you had over the years? I've had, uh, well, of course, I, you know, I, I just averaged it up 50 a week. It, it, I think it's about 4,500. Wow. Somewhere along there over the years. I taught five days a week for 46 years in Shelby. Mm. And we've been here at Bowling Springs. It was three years in May, first week in May. Wow. Most of your students been banjo players? No, no, they haven't. Uh, had a lot of guitar players and uh, uh, a whole lot of banjo players and a uh, good many fiddle players and uh, a couple of auto harp players. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Angel harp and uh, dulcimer and... Uh, uh, 
bass, oh, both yeah, upright yeah, and electric, yeah. both upright, and uh, guitar, both electric and acoustic, mandolin. Uh, I guess I've had more uh, guitar and banjo than anything. Well, I certainly, over the years that I've been here, have uh, played with a lot of people who told me, oh, yeah, I was teaching myself, and I, I think I had to get me some help to take it someplace else. And, you know, Dan Padgett, that's who helped me out. That's who got me from playing G, C, and D to playing something more, you know? And, and banjo players in particular said, you know, I took it as far as I could go, and he's the one that made the difference for me. Well, I've written about a thousand banjo tabs. Well, yeah, out. that's that's a lot. And then probably I don't know. I got about five books, or four or five books of fiddle, and I got guitar, and I got. Uh, but it's mostly banjo and guitar. Yeah. Well, you, you, there's certainly a lot of players of a lot of different ages that that are playing music here, and. Uh, Pretty much learned it from you, which is uh, that's a treasure in itself to have somebody that can play well and have had the the experience of playing around in the world to to guide them in the right direction. And that's a gift too. Teaching teaching in itself's a gift. That's a really hard thing to do. What's what's um. What's your favorite memories of all all the time you've been playing? Well, I've met a lot of people that I wouldn't have met otherwise. Uh, uh, one summer, uh, you might remember uh, Joe Namath on the yeah. New York, with his partner Daryl Austin played yeah. on the team. Daryl uh, took banjo lessons one summer uh, at my studio at uh, Six Points. Uh, he was going to Garden Web Summer School. Oh. And uh, Lee Greenway and his makeup artist Andy Griffith. Wow. Uh, moved back here from Hollywood after 50 years. He was Princess Grace's makeup artist. He was uh, did everything Andy did to Matlock, and he was one of uh, 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 I can't think of the, the person right now, but he he was the top makeup artist in Hollywood. Right. Uh, he he was one of Clark Gable. Wow. And uh, he and Andy left the skeet shoot, and Lee had two world trophies, world trophies. Right. Uh, good with shotgun. <clears throat> Lee uh, called me one day, and he said, I'm going to put on a knife and gun show at the National Guard Army in Spindale. Can you get a bluegrass band and, and come play for uh Two days, and I said, yes, sir, I will. He said, uh, I'm going to bring my gun collection out of Hollywood. And what a collection he had. He had, he had over an under shotgun blown to Clark Gable. Oh, man. <clears> he <throat> had the last little Browning pistol, the serial number it was made. Wow. Uh, Lee left here with his two brothers about 1921, went west. And he came back here with $60 million. And he uh, wanted me to come to his house and teach him banjo every week. He bought the Dr. Tanner place in uh, Rutherford behind yeah. the hospital. 
And uh, he had, he loved cars. He had uh, two Rolls Royces. He had a new one and a, I think a 69 like Elvis had. Right. Had a new Ferrari 12-cylinder mid-engine every wow. year. Wow. And he won the race at Charlotte when he was 75 years old. Wow. So he had, uh, his brother had a little Martin ukulele that had a little hole in it. And he had two banjos. He paid $3,000 for a gold plate and, on his Vega in 1960. <laughs> and wow. he had a Gibson. And we took his instruments to Charlotte to have them repaired. A guy that I knew, master banjo builder, C.E. Ward. So not knowing that Lee was a race car driver, we got in the car and started out around the winding car. inject this into the story uh, now after Dan and I had finished the interview Dan bought, brought me a red bow tie with uh, diamond studs on it and he asked me did I know what it was and of course I said no uh, it was the original bow tie that Earl Scruggs had worn on when he filmed the, the Beverly Hillbilly episodes They'd given them two of these bow ties and, uh, and because they take these in like a 14 hour day. And uh, Dan had the, the original one that belonged to Earl Scruggs. It still had the makeup on it. It was one of the absolute coolest things that I have touched doing these interviews. I could just feel the magic in it. You'll see a picture of it on the Facebook part of uh, the, the lead-in, the promotion of this uh, podcast with Dan. But an incredible story. He got them from uh, Louise Scruggs, and uh, I actually got to hold them. Uh, wonderful, wonderful part of the story that is not in the uh, podcast itself. So look at the pictures and realize that is the story. And <laughs> drove him all the way back to Thunder Road and he woke up just before we got to his house. And, uh, but I was there every week and he invited us to, uh, uh, he said, Andy's coming next uh, spring and said, when I finished, uh, redoing my house and you're invited, I want you to bring about a six piece bluegrass band. You're invited for supper at six o'clock and uh, Andy's gonna have some friends here and uh, now I'm gonna have some friends over and we're gonna have Chinese food. So I pulled up in the car, I had a Cadillac and a trailer at that time and the driveway was lined on both sides with cars, and they told us not to tell anybody. Right. Said we don't. Want, I thought to myself, well, somebody found somebody it. Somebody done. Yeah. Somebody. He didn't want any media right. of any kind in there. And we promised. So we uh, we got out, and went in. Andy was in there. They uh, greeted us, and we ate supper. And after supper, we just uh, went in his living room there, and everybody got their instruments. Frank Greenway's his uh, uh, cousin on the fiddle, and. Uh, 
me and Lee was on the banjo, and Andy played my guitar. Oh, yeah. And uh, Ruth played the bass, Ann Condy played the guitar. She was a good singer. And uh, we just uh, started picking. We picked about two hours and a half. I bet that was good. Yeah, we enjoyed it, but Lee was good to me. Uh, so I like to play them Dillard tunes. <laughs> yeah, I got to meet uh, Doug. I oh, never okay. met him. We'd played all around him, never met him. Right. We'd be like... Uh, uh, at Richmond, and he'd be maybe 10 miles down the road. Right. Or, but anyway, uh, uh, Mr. Greenway asked me one day, he said, have you ever met Doug Dillard? And I said, no, sir. He said, I've, I've been all around. Never. He said, well, I'm going to introduce you to him. He said, if you go with me Sunday down to the Bluegrass Show, said at uh, Shelby at the Livestock Yard, they've got Bill Monroe, and they've got Will Lynn Stoney cover, they've got the Dillards and the Austin Brothers. Right. And went down there and he introduced me and I, we talked for probably 45 minutes. We were about the same age. Oh yeah, probably about, I was right. about the same age as Bobby Thompson, uh, about the same age as Hassel McCormick yeah. and uh, uh, you know, those, we were close together. Well, now, did you play with Doc Watson? First show I played with Doc was at uh, was Malcolm Brown Auditorium Shelby. 1982, I believe it was, somewhere around. Then I played uh, two or three shows at Dover Theater and Garden Web with him. That's pretty good. And uh, last time I saw him, we went to the Leaf Festival in uh, Black Mountain, yeah. and mm -hmm. uh, we had to go to the Owens High School and catch a shuttle bus yeah. to get oh, out yeah. there. Mm -hmm. They dropped us off at the foot of the mountain, and uh, you had to walk up this little gravel pathways up the uh, uh, mountain to the, had a big tent, huge tent. Right. And they had a, there's a lake up there as well as I remember. And yeah, there there's is. people everywhere, you know, they were camping in uh, blankets on the ground, uh, campers, uh, trailers, uh, uh, everything you can think of. And uh, so we got good seats. We were about the third row back from the front. And, uh, uh, the wife had always wanted to meet. Uh, she told her mama one day, she said, I'll meet that man someday. And we were walking up that path, and uh, she was ahead of me a little bit. And, and uh, I uh, looked over and I saw Doc Watson and Richard sitting right there on yeah. the path in the SUV. Yeah. I said, Hey. He said, What do you want? I said, Come here. I said, Right here sits uh, Doc and Richard right here. So I went over and uh, she got to see. Doc's hand, and, and uh, uh, I don't know why we didn't make any pictures. Right, oh yeah, I do. We went know. on to the show, and it was just, they were standing four or five thick all the way around the tent, yeah. and the, the seats were full. And David Holt was with Doc. They had just come from California. They had, he hadn't even been home. And when they came out on stage, all these people from the side moved in front of us. Oh. But we never did get to see him. Oh, they that's were, terrible. They were standing probably 10 feet thick in front of the audience. Right, oh yeah. And uh, and then after the, the show, you couldn't get within a mile oh, of sure him. Had him under security, roped off. Mm -hmm. You couldn't even get you know to him. So, uh, But he was a wonderful man. The last chance I had to play with him, Doc played at Lattimore Baptist Church one Sunday, 11 o'clock worship. And I was up at uh, Seven Devils and yeah. at night in September it snowed that, that uh, night and we were booked over to the uh, uh, Alta Pass Apple Orchard on Sunday evening 
and Harold Blanton called me and he said, uh, said, hey, he said, Doc's gonna be over at my house about two o'clock, we're gonna jam if you can make it. And I said, Harold, we're up here on the Blue Ridge Parkway and we're supposed to play at uh, uh, Out Pass this afternoon and it'll be about nine o'clock or 10 tonight before I get in. And I'm, I wish I could, but I can't. Mm. So I didn't get to play with him the last uh, time he was in. But he's a wonderful man. Yeah, yeah. He invited us up to the Merrill Fest mm. to sit with the Watson family. And went up and, and uh, sat there with Richard and Doc, well, Doc mostly all afternoon. Oh, that's and great. He talked and told me stories. And, he said, I pay the, the big acts like Earl Scruggs and Dolly Parton, Loretta Lynn, and, uh, you know, $50,000 a show. And I told Doc, I said, I'm going to step out here on the little back porch. It's all off limits and uh, catch a breath of air. And I stepped out there and this black SUV drove up. Windows blacked out. You couldn't see what it was. He was probably 25 yards, 20, 25 yards. Door opened, Earl Scruggs got out. Huh. He said, Dan Paddock, where you been? I hadn't seen you in a hundred years. And they had a driver with him. Louise right. was in the, the back. All right. And uh, we talked about five minutes. It's the last time I ever saw Earl. Really? Yeah. Of, of all your, you played with a lot of people. Who's been your favorite musical partner that you played with? Hmm. That's a tough one. Because you played with a lot of good people, I mean. Uh, I really, I really don't know. Well, the uh, two of my favorites was the Foggy Mountain Boys and the Bluegrass Boys. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I guess would be the, well, the McCormick Brothers. Yeah, yeah. But they were all, they were all good. Just about everybody you played with was good. I mean, they're all, you know, you get to where you are because you're good, you know? Well, sometimes you get a break. You sometimes know? you do get yeah. a break, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of luck involved. It is a lot of there luck involved. Well, I do appreciate you taking the time to do this. It's a very interesting part of the music business, and uh, I'm just grateful you gave me the time of day. Yes, sir. I appreciate it, man. All right. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thank you, sir.